Should we do anything great for God? I mean, think about it. He's God. He's got everything. So what possible thing could I do? So what's the use? Well, the use is that we owe him. The use is that we might bring him honor and glory. Well, today I want to speak with you on this subject of doing something great for God. And I'd like to ask you to open your Bible to the book of Colossians. Colossians, you say, what does that mean? Well, it's a letter that was written to a church in a city called Colossae. And the people who lived in the city of Colossae were known as Colossians. And if you live in Surrey, I guess you're a Surreyite or something like that. Hey, we've been called worse, so. Huh? The verse I want you to see is verse 17, chapter 3, verse 17. We're told here, whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. You know, doing great things is a dream that many people have. Maybe many of us here today have a, a dream, something great that we want to do or accomplish. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's good. Let me tell you a few stories of people who've done some great things. A young girl named Irina Sendler, S-E-N-D-L-E-R. Back in 1939, she was just a young lady. But that's when the Nazis invaded Poland and they pushed frightened Jews into an area called the ghetto, the Warsaw Ghetto. And there they intended to pretty much starved them to death. And later, you know the atrocities the Nazis committed. But young Irina Sendler wanted to do something great with her life. And so she started giving food to frightened Jews. And I, Irina had the idea, if only I could get into the Warsaw Ghetto. She wasn't Jewish. How can I get in there? And so she pretended to be a nurse and she was able to get into the Warsaw Ghetto. And working alongside the underground, she helped to free an estimated 3,000 Jewish children. She was caught in 1943 by the Nazis, and they tortured her, but she refused to give up any information. She outlived the war. War ended in 1945, and... She had done this great thing. Irina just died a few years ago in 2008 at 98 years of age. In the 1980s, Tim Berners-Lee was a young computer scientist working for MIT. That's the Massachusetts Institute of Technology. And he wanted to do something with his life. And he came up with an idea for what we call the Internet. The Internet back then was not like the Internet today. The Internet back then was basically... Uh, a bunch of information that was available for government use and for use by research companies and by uh, uh, universities and such. No one in their home had the internet. I know, I lived through that era. And we didn't have the internet in our homes. We didn't have computers in our homes. But Tim Berners-Lee came up with an idea because it was so hard 
for the researchers to have to type in these web, long websites, he came up with the idea of a clickable link. You click on a link and it would open up that web page. And because of that one invention, Tim Berners-Lee became the father of the modern internet that we know today, the World Wide Web. But don't think that you have to be a young person in order to do something great with your life. Sam Walton, he owned a small chain of discount stores, but it wasn't until Sam was 44 years old that he opened his first true Walmart store in 1962. Ray Kroc was in his 50s, I think his mid-50s, when he bought his very first McDonald's in 1956. That was the year I was born, by the way. And Ray Kroc went on to turn McDonald's into a worldwide conglomerate worth billions of dollars. There are countless people who have done countless great things. William Shakespeare, Abraham Lincoln, Napoleon Bonaparte, Joan of Arc, Alexander the Great, Christopher Columbus, Mozart, Queen Victoria, Henry Ford, Bill Gates. The list goes on and on and on. But one thing that I notice, what great thing or what great things have people done for God? In my opinion, most people in the world will never do anything great for God. You say, why is that? In my opinion, it's because they don't really know God. To them, God is just someone out there somewhere. Disconnected with life right here. Well, then there are people who do know God. And in my opinion, most of the people who do know God through faith in Jesus Christ will end up doing very little for God. Why is that? In my opinion, most Christians tend to spend most of their time and their talents and their treasures on themselves, their families, and a few friends. I kind of think it reflects human nature. It's the way we are, it seems. But I want to challenge all that today. And I want to say this. Don't live your life without doing something great for God. And when you've done that, go find something else great to do for God. Colossians chapter 3 verse 17. Read it out loud with me please. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Look at it again. Whatsoever ye do. You go to work, you go to school, you set up a home. Whatsoever ye do, it says, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. That certainly suggests we're to do things for God's glory. God is our Creator. Not only that, He is our sustainer. You've been created because of God. You're still alive because of God. He's not only our creator, our sustainer, He's our provider. You have a roof over your head, you've got food in your tummy, you've got clothes on your back, 
because He is a provider. And He has either given those things to you or given you the ability to get those things or given you favor in someone's eyes who gave you those things. But He is ultimately the provider and He is a helper. But most of all, He is our Savior, a wonderful Savior. Now, people often think, well, why should we do anything great for God? I mean, think about it. He's God. He's got everything. So what possible thing could I do? So what's the use? Well, the use is that we owe him. The use is that we might bring him honor and glory. And sure, he has everything. That's why he's God. (laughs) But as his children, you and I can enter into a wonderful closeness with God as we seek to do something great for Him, for His glory, with our lives. Doing great things for God will bring us some wonderful rewards here on earth. I've experienced some of that myself. Many of you have as well. And it'll bring us even greater rewards when we get to heaven. And so today, I'd like to suggest to you three ways in which we can bring Him glory by doing something great. First, we'll have a word of prayer, and then I want to tell you these three things. So let's close our eyes for prayer. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for even revealing a few truths through this one verse of Scripture. We thank you that we have abilities to get up and go and do things. Help us to remember you and to do some things for you in our lives. Before we know it, life comes to an end. For some sooner, for some a little later. But life is going to come to an end. And as we look back, what have we done for God? Our Father, there have been wonderful people over the years who've done wonderful things for you and help us to be numbered amongst those wonderful people. Encourage us today to get our eyes off our, our little bit of world that surrounds us, that circles us, to get our eyes up and off of that and onto something greater for your glory, for your honor. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, three things. Number one, the first thing that we can do to do something great for God, if you're a note taker, write this down. We can become great prayer warriors for God. We can become great prayer warriors for God. So many people, they don't realize what prayer is all about. To them, they think that prayer is some kind of form of meditation where they rattle off some words that they've memorized. That's not what prayer is. Prayer is so much more than that. So much more. It enters into a wonderful relationship with God. Can you imagine? My wife and I, we've been married now uh, just about 42 years, coming up on 42 years. Can you imagine what our lives would be like if each of us had a little book? And the only way we could communicate with each other is by repeating some words out of a book. Hmm? Day one. Good morning, my dear. I hope you slept well. And then she has her book. You know, and she says a few words. And then I say, hmm, I guess that's it for today. You know, there's nothing more on the page. Well, I'm off. I'm out of here. And then the next day, okay, page two. How are you, my love? And she has her book. Boy, imagine if we ever lost a book. What trouble we'd be in. Who'd want a relationship like that? That's not a relationship. 
That sounds more like a prison or something. You want to have a relationship with a person where you enter into a deepness of heart and love and feeling. And that's what we can do with God. So many people don't realize that. To them, God is you know, a bunch of do's and don'ts and religious things like that. But prayer will bring us into an incredible relationship with God. Now, take your Bible, turn back a few pages if you're in Colossians, turn to the left, go to the book of Romans, chapter number 15. I want to show you an amazing verse. Just one verse, chapter 15. Again, challenging this idea of prayer. Many people seem to think that prayer ought to be a very peaceful, quiet little activity where they sit in a corner and sort of fold their hands together and no one bothers them. They're going into deep meditation of some sort. But here we have prayer in chapter 15 of Romans and we see in verse number 30 a surprising truth. Now I'd like you to read it out loud. It's only one verse. Read it together with me. Romans 15, 30. Let's begin. Now I beseech you, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit, that ye strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Underline those two words, strive together. The Apostle Paul knew something about the power of prayer. I'm telling you today, there's great power in prayer. Power that many of us don't take advantage of. We just don't take advantage of this incredible power. Because either we, we, we don't believe it, or we don't know about it, or we think maybe it's for others, but not for us. But this is for us. Paul is begging them, I beseech you. That's what the word beseech means. I get down on my knees and I beg you, please, brethren, for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake, and for the love of the Spirit, I want you to do this. Do what? Strive. Strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. He was needing prayer warriors uh, at his side. There's great power in prayer. That's what I want you to know. Write that down. There's great power in prayer. Power that you haven't seen the likes of. There's great power. You know, before they split the atom, they theorized that there was power in, in the atom. But they didn't realize how much, did they? Until they finally did it. They finally split the atom. And that's when we got nuclear power. And oh boy, did that ever open a door on the world that we can't close anymore when they discovered how to do that. We've got atomic bombs, we've got hydrogen bombs, we've got, you know, I, well, there's a few more there. I, I'm not, it's, it's not my specialty. I guess you guessed that already. <laughs> I'm not, not a bomb kind of expert. I've, I've done a few bombs in life. I, I've laid a few eggs, I know that, but this is something different, I suppose. But there is power in prayer. There is incredible power. Charles Spurgeon was an old English preacher over in England, and he said these words, prayer, listen to how he put it. I love how this man used to speak. Prayer is the slender nerve, the slender nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. And what he was saying is that prayer will move the arm of God. If you want the arm of God to move in your life or in your family, you need to pray because prayer can do that. It's so true. Prayer changes things. I would like you to say those words, those three words, prayer changes things. Say that with me now. Prayer changes things. It's so true. Don't ever forget. Forget what? Say it again with me. Prayer changes things. 
And if we would start praying and praying more, we would see more things changed. Someone once said that when a Christian shuts out fellowship with other Christians, the devil smiles. Whenever a, a Christian stops reading the Bible, the devil laughs. But whenever a Christian stops praying, the devil shouts for joy. Because the truth is, even the weakest Christian on his knees is a threat to Satan. Satan is always the enemy. Martin Luther was a great prayer warrior and he once said, no one can believe how powerful prayer is and what it is able to accomplish except those who have learned it by experience. If you've never experienced the power of prayer, you'll never believe it. You'll say, oh, I doubt that. Or you'll say, oh, well, really, is that so? Oh, that's nice. If you've never experienced it yourself. The Apostle Paul, perhaps he knew more about the power of God in prayer than any of us here today. And that's why he begged, he pled for the earnest prayers of the Christians in Rome. And here in Romans chapter 15 and verse 30. If ever there is a need for prayer warriors, ladies and gentlemen, it's today. It's these days in which we live. I tell you, the world is literally going to hell in a handcart. If you're a follower of world news, it's not getting better out there. It's getting worse. All of the social programs in the world cannot do what only God's power can do. And God's power will come through prayers. Prayers of God's people. One of the greatest things you can ever do with your life is to become a prayer warrior. Learn how to become a prayer warrior. God uses our prayers to remove obstacles. He uses our prayers to bind Satan. He uses our prayers to unleash his power. The Bible is jammed full of examples of this. Would you take your Bible and turn to the Old Testament to the book of Exodus? The book of Exodus... That comes right after Genesis. Exodus chapter 32. Would you look at it please? Exodus chapter 32. I want you to see the power of prayer. The example is in the life of Moses. Moses. In chapter 32. We'll pick up here in verse 9. Watch this. And the Lord said unto Moses. I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore, let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. Verse 11, And Moses besought the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why doth thy wrath wax hot against thy people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou swearest by thine own self, and saidst unto them, I will multiply your seed as the stars of heaven. And all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever. Now watch verse 14. And the Lord repented 
of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. You know what we just saw? We saw God change his mind because one man prayed. Israel was a stiff-necked people, no question about it. They provoked God to wrath with, with their idol worship and all their murmuring, complaining. God says, I've had enough. I'm going to destroy them. And he said to Moses, Ha, I will make of you an even greater nation. And Moses went to prayer. And he interceded on behalf of his brothers and sisters and said, Lord, don't do it. Don't do it. Why should people call you, you know, rotten and evil and wicked and the only reason you brought them out was to kill them and destroy them? Why should they do that? Oh, please be merciful. Remember your promise to Abraham, Isaac, and, and to Israel. That's Jacob. And so God's, mm, he said, okay. And he changed his mind. Now, I'm not trying to suggest to you that you can get on your knees at any time, any moment, and make God change his mind about plans he has for this world or for you know, eternity. But I'm saying this, you can intercede for people you know and love, and you can pray for them. Maybe you have some wayward loved ones that aren't living the way they ought to, going down a path of destruction, where you can get on your knees and there's great power. And God is willing to listen to you. Wow, what a wonderful example. I'll give you a couple more examples very quickly. Elijah, this is written in the book of James chapter 5, says Elias was a man subject to like passions as we are, and he prayed earnestly that it might not rain, and it rained not on the earth by the space of three years and six months. And he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth brought forth her fruit. Power in prayer. That's earnest prayer. In Romans 15.30, we talked about striving in prayer. Earnest prayer. This gives you the idea of a warrior who's striving. Now, in prayer, you're not striving against God. No, 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 no. You're striving against your enemy, Satan. You're striving against the laziness of your flesh. You're striving against the evilness in the, the minds of some evil people. That's what you're striving against. Asking God to bring about His power and His glory. That's where your striving is. This is where your earnestness comes in. In Colossians chapter 4, we're introduced to a man named Epaphras. And Paul wrote, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you in prayers, that ye may stand perfect and complete in the will of God. Here's a man who took it upon himself to be a prayer warrior praying for his local church. He had brothers and sisters and friends and loved ones in that church. I don't know how big the church is. We don't know. Maybe it was 50 people. Maybe it was 100. Maybe it was less. We don't know. But Epaphras was a servant of God. And he became a servant of God by becoming a prayer warrior. And he would get on his knees and he would pray earnestly for this person and this person and this lady and this man and this young person. He knew them all by name. He prayed for them earnestly. Everyone in this church gets prayed for. Did you know that? Everyone in this church gets prayed for. I have a complete list of everyone's name. I pray for you. The deacons have a complete list of everyone's name. The deacons pray for you. There are others who are not pastors or deacons, and they pray one for another as well. A lot of prayers go up. Praise the Lord for that. That's wonderful. That's very biblical. It's very important we do this. For over 2,000 years, there have been numerous examples of Christians who became prayer warriors. Martin Luther, 
was a Catholic monk in the 1500s and he was used of God to spark the Protestant Reformation. Luther himself was a prayer warrior. Listen to this. He wrote, If I fail to spend two hours in prayer each morning, the devil gets the victory through the day. I have so much business I cannot get on without spending three hours daily in prayer. No wonder that tens of thousands of people came to know the Lord as their personal Savior through the ministry of Martin Luther. John Knox was a pastor in Scotland in the 1500s and he was also a giant in prayer. For Knox, prayer was not some occasional activity. It was his constant activity. In fact, he saw so many answers to prayer that Mary, Queen of Scots, who lived back then, she once said these words, I fear the prayers of John Knox more than all the assembled armies of Europe. That's what she said, because he was a prayer warrior. Knox had a daughter. His daughter married another prayer warrior by the name of John Welsh, who also was a pastor there in Scotland. Welsh's home was reportedly filled with constant audible prayer. Welsh was such a prayer warrior that he would often get up in the middle of the night in order to pray for the salvation of souls in Scotland. And is it any wonder that these two men literally changed Scotland for the cause of Christ? George Whitfield was a great English preacher, powerful preacher of the gospel in the 1700s. And he would get to bed by 10 o'clock so that he could get up at 4 o'clock so he could pray for power and pray for people. It's no wonder tens of thousands of people came to know the Lord Jesus because of his ministry. George Mueller was a German missionary to England in the 1800s. He spent hours every day in prayer to God and he filled dozens of books with records of his answered prayer. He once stood up and said to people, I've had th over 30,000 answers to prayer. He continued by saying, you may ask how I know that because I write them all down. Do you ever write down your prayer requests and then write the date when they were answered? That's not a bad idea. I don't know if we'd ever get 30,000 of them, but I'll bet you we could, we could get a few going. This fellow, George Mueller, became a powerful servant of God and he started opening orphanages for wayward children back then. There was really nothing for them. He said, I can't let this go on. He opened an orphanage. Then he opened another and another. He was a great man of prayer. He prayed in all of the money necessary to do this. Before he died, his orphanages had 10,000 children in them. And he fed them, and he housed them, and he clothed them, and he trained them, he taught them, all in answer to prayer. George Mueller was a great prayer warrior. History has recorded the amazing things that men like Martin Luther have done and Charles Finney, another evangelist, maybe a name you're familiar with or not, doesn't matter. Hundreds of thousands of people came to Christ because of these men. But I want you to know that behind these two men, there were two other men kneeling in prayer for them. Philip Melanchthon, 
he would be on his knees in prayer whenever Luther was on his feet preaching the gospel. Daniel Nash would come to a town two weeks before evangelist Charles Finney would come. Nash would rent a room and would ins- he would spend entire days in prayer for the preaching of Finney. On any given Sunday morning, like for example today, when I'm standing here preaching the Word of God, there are usually two women or two men on their knees in my office praying as I am preaching. What great thing can any of us do to bring God great glory? Well, start today. Ask God to help you to become a prayer warrior for His glory. Now, I said there were three things. The second, I'll move quickly. We can become great givers for God. We can become great prayer warriors, but we could also become great givers for God. Turn to the New Testament, to the Gospel of Luke. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. We have an amazing story. This guy was a real hero. And let's see, we're not going to read the whole story. It begins in verse 25. Behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tempted him, saying, Master, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And so anyhow, he gives the story of the Good Samaritan. And here it is. Um, in verse 30, Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among the thieves. And of course, they beat him up really badly and he almost died. And then you have these religious people. A priest comes by, a Levite comes by in verse 32. They just kind of look and whew, pass on the other side. Verse 33, a certain Samaritan as he journeyed. Now, Samaritans were like the half-breeds uh, of Jesus' day. And the Jews despised them. And so here's a certain Samaritan. He's the hero of the story. As he came by, he saw the guy. And look, you see in verse 33, he had compassion. He had compassion on him. So, verse 34, he went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence. Now, you say two pennies, that doesn't sound very much. In the economy of Jesus' day, one penny was a working man's wages for one day. So what are a working man's wages for one day today? Maybe it's $200. And so he took out two of these, the equivalent today possibly of $400. And he gave them to the host of the inn and said to him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more when I come again, I will repay thee. This is a famous story of a God-fearing man who gave generously to help someone in need and so God would be glorified. Throughout the Bible, we've got examples just like this. Men and women who gave generously in order for someone to be helped and God to be glorified. When Moses said to the people, we're going to build a tabernacle for God and we need everyone to start giving what they can. The Bible says they gave so much that they exceeded what was needed and Moses actually had to ask them to stop giving. Now when was the last time that ever happened in any church? Oh folks, please stop your giving. (laughs) I don't know of any time that's ever happened. In Jesus' day, He called His disciples and said, I want you to watch this little lady here. It was a poor widow. 
And others were putting in, you know, handfuls of money into the offering. And this poor widow came and pulled out two of the smallest pieces of money that they had back then. Two mites, M-I-T-E-S, two of them, two mites. A mite was equal to an eighth, one-eighth of a penny. Two of them would be a quarter of a penny. Remember, a penny was a working man's wage in one day. And so it's like a quarter of his, his day's pay. You know, if today, if it's $200, then it would have been maybe $50. You say, well, $50 doesn't so, sound so bad. Well, maybe not until you realize that she gave all she had. That was all she had. She only had those two mites. That's it. That's all she had. The others had lots left over in their big fat purses. They'd reach in a handful and throw that in. She came and she threw in two mites, which equals a farthing, a quarter of a penny. That was it. That was all she had. Imagine that. That's why Jesus said to his disciples, this little lady has given more than all the others because of their plenty they threw in, but of her need she put in all that she had. What an amazing woman. She gave by faith. I'm telling you, there's many examples. There's a story of a young boy who gave 100% of his lunch one day to Jesus. Remember this story? So that Jesus took it and he fed 5,000 men. Yeah. Maybe the name Laterno doesn't mean much to you, but Robert G. Laterno, R.G. Laterno, was a simple mechanic over a hundred years ago. He wanted to do something for God. He knew he could never become a pastor. He couldn't preach. He couldn't become a missionary. He was just kind of a rough, tough kind of a guy. He was a mechanic and he worked on automobiles and trucks, which were kind of primitive a hundred years ago, but that was his job. But he wanted to do something for God, something great. And so he said to God, God, if you will bring me business, then I promise you I'll give you 10% of the money I get. And so God answered his prayer and God started bringing in business and true to his word, Laterno gave 10% to God. But the interesting thing is that God didn't stop there. God still continued to bring in more business. And so Laterno thought about this and he thought, well, I think I, I can afford to give God some more. And so he increased his giving to 20% and then he lived on the 80%. And that seemed to be enough. But God still increased his business. And so Laterno started giving 30% and living on the 70%. His money, his givings went to support his local church and worldwide missions. And I almost think without realizing it, he hit the nail on the head. When you and I get involved with supporting worldwide missions, that's when the windows of heaven really begin to open for us. Miraculously, God starts doing things in our lives that there's no other explanation except God. Don't you want a life like that? Don't you want to live a life where you've got a few things happening in your life that there's no other explanation except it has to be God? How did he do it? I don't know, but he did it. Laterno discovered this. God increased 
the business, increased the money coming in, and so Letourneau started giving 40% of his income to God and living on 60%. Soon he was giving 50% of his income and living on the other half, and he still had plenty of money. So he increased it to 60% and living on 40%. God continued to bless Letourneau. Now you can look up his life and check this out. It is as true as I'm standing here today. God continued to bless and so Letourneau started giving 70 and living on 30. God wouldn't stop blessing Letourneau. So he started giving 90 and living on 10%. And the 10% was still more than enough money for him. It was a lot. The day came when Letourneau started giving 100% of his income. Sort of reminds you of that little boy who gave 100% of his lunch to Jesus. And God was still miraculously blessing Letourneau. He died. He went home to be with the Lord in, in the 70s. Back in the 1970s is when he went home to be with the Lord. But this man had a worldwide powerful effect in missions, supporting so many missionaries and doing such great, incredible works. And what God did for this man, God is able to do for any man. God is actually looking for business partners. Now, at the end of this month, we want to hold our annual Sacrifice Sunday offering. We do it once a year. The money goes to help upgrade the church. All of us can be part of this special great offering, and we're encouraging everyone to give above and beyond their regular giving to give one week's pay. If you've never done it before, then it's going to be scary, and I understand because I've been scared myself. Years and years ago, when the very first time when we tried doing this, we were on 9061 King George in, in a little 2,000 square foot building, and we announced this, and I thought to myself, well, I'll probably be the only one who gives. Uh, I got to give a week's, I mean, I made the offer, I made the, uh, the announcement, I have to do it, right? So, okay, I'll, I'll give, uh, but oh Lord, please, maybe there's someone else out there that'll give as well. And to my surprise, we had something like $10,000 come in. It was incredible. And we did it again the next year. And we saw another 10,000 come in. No one went bankrupt. No one went broke. Everyone was doing great. Next year we did it again. We had another 10,000. We had 30,000 come in. We used that money because God opened the door across the street. And we renovated that empty shell of a warehouse into a gorgeous looking church. And God used that the four years we were there. We grew and flourished. We continued to have Sacrifice Sunday. And then we came over here. And we started doing more things. We, uh, well, I won't go into all of the different things, but one thing we had to do was upgrade our sound system. The sound system we had in the old building was okay, but when we brought it in here, it was lost. It was so Mickey Mouse. So we had to put some fifteen or $16,000 into sound and light. Say, where'd that money come from? Sacrifice Sunday. Sacrifice Sunday. In the last couple of years, we found that our Sacrifice Sunday offerings have now reached around the $40,000 mark. And the church had a business meeting and decided that what it wants to do is get a, a new piano, a better piano. It wants to get better jackets for the ushers. The ushers are running around in jackets that don't fit them anymore. We want to get chairs instead of the pews. We can bring more people in. Did you notice that it's getting a little crowded on Sunday mornings? Well, the chairs will help with that. Also, we want to get new hymn books. The hymn books we've got are great, but they're now getting old. 
We want to get some other hymn books. They got like 300 more exciting hymns in there for us. We'll be up to like 900 hymns to choose from. But these are things that we can do. And we do it through Sacrifice Sunday. My wife and I, we both work for Grace Baptist Church. Therefore, we both get a paycheck. And for years, my wife and I have always given to Sacrifice Sunday. We give a a week's salary above and beyond. Now, we already tithe. We already give to missions. This is above that. And so this year, we're, we're going to give more. I'm not going to tell you how much we're going to give, but we're going to substantially increase our sacrificial giving. You say, can you afford to do that? We've learned that we can. We've learned that you can't outgive God. We've learned that what we give to God, God has ways of giving that back to us. And we get all our bills paid. I'm starting to put on weight. I shouldn't be. But I'm saying that God gives back. You have nothing to fear. I'm telling you, it is very, very doable. I want to encourage you. Do what we are doing. Upgrade your sacrificial giving. The year, this year, 2023, is a year of upgrades. So I encourage you, upgrade your sacrificial giving. Start now. Start now and plan to do something extra great for God by the end of this month. Some people do it by um, splitting their gift into two or three or four chunks. That's how they're able to do it. What other people will do is they'll use tax refund money to be able to, to give. But however you want to do it, do something great for God and you will see God will bless that back to you. All right. What great things can we do to bring God glory? Number one, we can become great prayer warriors. Number two, we can become great givers. Number three, we can become great servants for God. Great servants for God. Now take your Bible, turn to the right, to the book of Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Uh, can one of you guys turn the ACs on here? I'm feeling that the heat is starting to build. Thank you very much. Maybe turn the fans up for a minute as well. Philippians chapter 2. This is a great opportunity. Philippians chapter 2. Please look at verse 25. We're introduced here to a, a man named Epaphroditus. Now this is not the same man we were introduced to back in the book of Colossians. That was Epaphras, the great prayer warrior. This is Epaphroditus. Verse 25, Philippians chapter 2, Yet I suppose it necessary to send send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor and fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants, for he longed after you all and was full of heaviness, because that ye had heard that he had been sick, for indeed he was sick nigh unto death. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. And I sent him therefore the more carefully that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice, and that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him him, therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such in reputation. Now here's what I want you to see. Because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. This man was an incredible servant of God. I'm not suggesting that you put your life to the point of death. I mean, Epaphroditus wasn't intending to do that. That's just kind of what happened to him. 
but he, he did live. But here is a man in the New Testament who became a great servant for God. And you'll find many examples of such men and women throughout the Bible. And God blesses them, not only here on earth, but in heaven. Their names are not just written in the Lamb's Book of Life, but they're actually written down in the Bible for us to read. Back in the middle 1800s, there lived an uneducated teenager by the name of Dwight Lyman Moody. His Sunday school teacher helped him to receive, pray and receive Jesus Christ as his Savior. And that happened on Saturday, April 21st, 1855. Almost the next day, young Dwight decided that he wanted to serve the Lord any which way he could. So he figured he couldn't do much, but he could bring in some children to Sunday school. So that's what he did. Each week he'd start bringing in kids. He'd get a, a horse and a wagon. And he'd start to load up the wagon. Then he'd bring them in, go and get another load and bring them in. It wasn't long before the church became packed. And Moody had to find another place for the Sunday school. So we ended up renting a large building. Say, so where'd the money come to rent that large building? It came from two places. Number one, it came from some prayer warriors that liked what they saw Dwight Moody doing instead of praying for him. Number two, it came from some great givers, Christian men who were worth some money and they saw this great work and so they gave and helped. That's where the money came from. And it wasn't too long, within a couple of years, 2,000 children were coming every week to Moody's Sunday School and finding Jesus as their Savior. It wasn't long after that, Moody started feeling God calling him into full-time service and to become an evangelist. And he ended up touring across America and England for the next 40 years of his life. And it's estimated that he helped a million people come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. In the process, he also started a church. He started a Bible college. He started homes for boys and girls. He started a printing ministry to spread gospel literature. And Moody's life inspired thousands of men and women to go and do thou likewise, to follow his example and become servants of God. Does God still call men and women to become great servants for Jesus Christ? And the answer is yes, he does. Fifteen years ago, on Tuesday, November 18th, 2008, our dear sister Roman read through our little Bible study booklets and came to the realization that she needed Jesus Christ as her personal Savior. I was there that day. I was there to help her to pray and receive Jesus as her Savior. Over the months that followed, Roman wanted to know as much as she possibly could about God. And she was reading the Bible constantly. Two years later, she got baptized and became a member of our church. And she had a great desire to be a servant of the Lord. Those of you who know her know this is true. She got involved with every church activity she could. She was out at everything. She even took some Bible college courses. And then a couple of years ago, Roman came to me and said she felt God calling her to serve him in Ethiopia. This was a miracle. She said to me that she was born and raised in Ethiopia, but she, she'll never go back to Ethiopia. She wanted zip to go back there. Well, God turned her heart. Now she wanted to go back. And she went back for a, a visit and came back and it, God confirmed it. 
make a long story short, God opened all the right doors, and today Roman is serving in Ethiopia. And she's serving under a, um, a missionary pastor there. His name is Lovegrove. We support Lovegrove. We also support Roman. And they just had a grand opening of their new facility. And they had 441 people in church. Amen? And a number of them uh, found Christ as Savior. Roman is a great servant of the Lord. But you could say the same thing about our dear brother Carl and his wife Cassie. They attended our church and they wanted nothing more to serve the Lord full time with their lives. And so today they're serving the Lord in a little church in Porcupine Plain, Saskatchewan. I hope to visit him in the end of the month of May. Any of us can be servants of the Lord by getting involved and by volunteering to help in one of our many ministries that we have here at the church. But if you want to be an even better servant of the Lord, consider our Bible college taking a course. You'll get out of something what you put into it. You can take a single course online or you can come and take it in person. You can come full time to the Bible college for one year and you'll get a hundred times more than what you could ever get by taking a single course. You could give your life to the Lord and serve him full time with your life like I am serving him with my life. So we have to wrap things up here today. What great thing can you do for God that will bring him some glory. Remember Colossians 3.17. Whatever you do. Do it for the glory of God. You don't have to be a young person. You don't have to be an old person. You don't have to be male or female. You just have to know God. And love him. That's it. In your heart today. I'm wondering if you would tell God. That you want to do something great for him. Don't live your life without doing something great for God. Now I said at the beginning of this message that in my opinion, most people in the world will never do anything for God because most people do not really know God. They may know about God, but that's not the same as actually knowing God. There's quite a difference. How many here have ever heard of the name Elon Musk? Raise your hand if you've ever heard the name Elon Musk. All right. Elon Musk, not too long ago, was considered to be the richest man in the world. Now he's lost a few billion dollars. He's the second richest man in the world. He owns the Tesla company. Elon Musk. How many here have actually met Elon Musk and shaken his hand? How many have ever met him? Well, me neither. You see, here's why. Listen to me, folks. I know about Elon Musk. I know about Elon Musk, but I don't really know Elon Musk. Does that make sense? Yes? I know about him, but I don't really know him. And that's exactly the way it is with people and God. I would have to meet Elon Musk in order to know him. I would have to meet him. One of our previous prime ministers, I got to meet him face to face and shake his hand. He probably doesn't remember me anymore, but I remember him. That was Stephen Harper, one of our previous prime ministers. I shook his hand. I've never shaken Elon Musk's hand. I don't know him. I don't know him. He doesn't know me. We would have to meet 
And it's the same way with God. A lot of people know about God. They know He's up there somewhere. Some of them think that He sent His Son Jesus to earth. Some of them think that He wrote a book called the Bible. Some of them think that He has something to do with churches. You know, as a boy growing up, I knew about God, but I didn't know God. When I became a teenager, a teenage friend of mine in high school said to me, he said these words, Jesus Christ is my best friend. And I was thinking in my head as he said that, you're nuts. You're crazy. Do you do drugs? How can anyone know someone who's been dead for 2,000 years? Huh. You may as well say, Alexander the Great is my best friend. And you know, you got a point there. But what if Alexander the Great were still alive today? Well, he's not. But what about Jesus? Jesus is. Because he rose from the grave. And there were hundreds and hundreds of witnesses to that. He is alive today. And that's why that teenage friend of mine could say that Jesus Christ was his best friend because he actually met Jesus Christ. You mean physically face to face? No. You don't always have to meet someone physically face to face to meet them. People meet people on the internet all the time, don't they? They never met them or heard the sound of their voice, but they meet them. They get to know each other. Years ago, people used to do that with letters. They become pen pals and they get to know one another so much and then comes the day when they finally meet. I met Jesus on April the 6th, 1975, almost 48 years ago. It changed my life when I met Jesus. So that's why I say most people in the world, they know about God, but they don't really know Him. They need to meet Him. The Apostle Paul knew what it meant to know the Lord. He said these words, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection. Knowing Jesus Christ makes all the difference in your life. If a person does not really know God, then anything they do for God counts as nothing. You have to know Him. If you're here today and you think that you only know about Jesus, but you don't really know Him. If you're here today and you cannot say truthfully that Jesus Christ is your best friend, chances are you don't know Him. Chances are that's what your need is. That's your biggest need right now is to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. Say, so how do I do that? If that's what prayer is for. We come to Jesus in prayer and we simply admit to Jesus what He already knows about us. The sin in our lives has separated us from God, put us on a crash collision course with a place called hell. Jesus died and shed His blood in payment so that we don't have to die and go to hell. We can be saved. We can receive Him as Lord and Savior. His blood can wash away our sins. We can go to heaven as a free gift. Not by lighting candles, not by saying prayers, or by giving money, or even by being baptized. We get to heaven through a person. That person is Jesus Christ. One sad day, many people will say, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Jesus says that he will say in that day to those people, then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. 
If you're here today and you've never received Jesus by faith, you can't say he's your best friend. You can't say that you know him personally. You can change all that today if you will. You can do it in prayer. You can do it now. Would you close your eyes and bow your head and let's pray together. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.